Melissa Mussington is passionate about fitness and pizza. One slightly more than the other. Whether it is pizza or working out, one thing is for certain. Melissa is disciplined and driven when it comes to what she likes. Melissa grew up surrounded by a family of musicians on a Caribbean island. Though she loved music, she and her family realized that she had tremendous talent in sports. Tennis, volleyball, track, if it was to be played, Melissa was on the team. After high school, Melissa secured jobs as a tennis coach and as an assistant tennis pro at one of the island's resorts. For the most part, life was good. But Melissa was facing some difficulties. After some soul-searching, she decided to purchase a one-way ticket to the UK. She wanted a fresh start. She wanted to fulfill her dreams. She wanted to become the best version of herself that she could possibly be. She was not sure if the UK was the place for her, but she was willing to take the risk. She took a bet on having a change of scenery, but more importantly, she took a bet on herself. In her short time in the UK, Melissa has completed a degree, become a personal trainer, created a fitness brand, Must Be Fit, and expanded her training and nutrition offerings, gained over 70,000 social media followers, has been featured in the UK version of Cosmopolitan magazine, and is on the verge of starting her own athleisure clothing line. Phew! Please note, she has done all this before age 30. Melissa is a burst of energy, knowledge, and positivity. As she speaks, she drops gem after gem. Don't believe me? Just take a listen. This is the story, thus far, of Melissa Mussington. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. a fitness expert and her brand must be fit is one of the uk's rapidly rapidly growing brands in fitness melissa mussington welcome to planet 30 hey crispin hey everyone thank you so much for having me thank you for being here the feel- pleasure. i feel like we have to uh you know you're probably the official instructor of the planet now yeah <laughs> yes i'll take that up <laughs> Melissa, tell us, how was it growing up in Anguilla? Of course, we've had guests from Anguilla on the show before. However, I want to hear your perspective. What was it like? Um, There's so many different things I could talk about. But in terms of growing up in Anguilla, I could definitely say one thing that stands out is how close-knit the community was. Everyone was able to go over to the next person's house. Like It was basically the, the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. Like, that was definitely so, so true in Anguilla back then. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of more of, you know, just having that tight knit community and, um, being able to depend on one another, even, even as a child. Like, that was a big deal to me. I felt the sense of freedom, uh, safety from a young child. So, whereas 
if you compare it to like a first world country, it is so difficult to say, oh yeah, kids can just walk home from school by themselves at like six or seven years old, whereas back home we were able to do that. So like just the whole freedom and the fun of looking forward to the weekends and seeing your cousins and everyone basically had a big family because everyone had cousins and their cousins were cousins. And so it was just like weekends at the beach going into the sea when your parents saw you not to, when you're here when your parents saw you not to. But yeah, it was just the real island life. When you hear about island life, yeah, that's that's what I really, really enjoyed back then. You say back then as if you're so old. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily. Um, I don't think it's about my age, but it's more so how Anguilla has transitioned over the years. Um, it has changed so much and we definitely don't have the same camaraderie. We don't have the same community um, spirit as we did back then. So, yeah, it's it's like night and day right now. Understood. You grew up surrounded by music. Your family is famous in the Caribbean <laughs> for uh, soca music and zook music. Um, did you ever consider a career in music? I know two of your first cousins are entertainers as well. Did you ever consider a career? Um, to be very honest, I have always loved music. Like, I guess that's because it runs through my veins. But I was told from a young age that I was not as good as some of my other family members. So therefore, it already was ingrained in my head that, listen, maybe um, music is not your career. However, um, I was quite talented in the aspect of harmonizing and that kind of stuff. So I was able to teach my cousins how to harmonize and how to, you know, just make sure that they're on point with the knowledge that I did have. Um, and being the elder, it was kind of like they would more listen to me and I could kind of get through to them easier than their dads, for example, because no one likes, I guess it's the familiarity thing of it. Um, and third party just telling you something rather than your parents because you kind of kind of have an attitude towards your parents. Um, but yeah, like uh, personally, I helped out in bands i was always like that extra person i i i grew up around bands and then one of my partners at the time he was in a band so i would always be in a band scene so when one of their singers might be sick or they're just not feeling it and they want to take a break I would just step in and, you know, we would, just so they can get a good band practice, I would be there and I'll be singing. And it used to just feel like so right. But for a career, definitely not. Um, I, I'm very, I'm very much a realist and I know that the talent that I do have is okay, but it's not enough, especially being like untrained and everything like that. It's not enough, uh, to take me into a career that will be fruitful especially being almost 30 now. So in my eyes, it's quite late for that. So you're, you're, I would more be interested in like a managerial role or something like that if I was to ever be in a music career. Your your answer surprises me because I personally know that you can sang-sang. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I believe in being very real when it comes to, in inverted commas, limitations um, and ability. So I'm not going to fool myself and say, oh, yeah, I'm so great and I know I can do this when in reality, I know it would take me about a couple of years to get proper voice training and stuff like that. And then, you know, to really get on the move, whereas I, I have an air for music, I have an air for talent, 
Um, and yeah, I just, I just feel like it isn't a place for me where I will be able to shine per se. Cause even when one of my cousins was, um, here in England for the X Factor a few years ago, um, she was, we were at the back and she was practicing for her, her time, whenever her time was going to come up for her, for her slot. And we were singing, singing, you know, just, getting her warm, getting her voice warm and everything. And she, she just wasn't getting something. She wasn't getting something for, for one of the transitions in the song. So I was able to sing her through that and teach her that within five minutes. And, um, when we, we were introduced to the staff, the team, I, I don't know if it was the voice team. Or I don't know what team they were. And they were like, Oh, so you're a family. So can you sing? And I was like, uh, a little bit. And then they were like, oh, well, go on then, sing us something. And so me and Deanna, we sang something and we did the harmony and whatever. They were like, what? They, they were like, hold up, hold up. Do you want to join the show? And they literally asked me to join X Factor there and then. Um, but I did not. I did not. And for more than one reason. One, I was already running my own business. I'm very busy. I don't have time to sit around for 12 hours a day to then be seen for two minutes. So I already had my life going on here in London. And two, it would have been very remiss of me to just step in and kind of like, I just feel like there would, there would have been this little disrespect Mm. to my cousin, although she's younger than I am. Um, I'm very big on morals and I'm very big on loyalty and that kind of stuff. So it would kind of come across kind of, yeah, a bit, a, a bit sly to stick in there and just take the offer, although it would have been fun. But nah, I, I, w- I wouldn't have done that. Got you, got you. Music was not in the cards for you. And as a child, no. you were a beast on the tennis court. <laughs> sort of a local star in Anguilla in the game of tennis. Tell us about growing up playing tennis and why why didn't you carry forth a career in tennis, for example? Um. Well, so first of all, I started playing tennis at around three, four years old. I remember like holding my first tennis racket and the racket was actually bigger than I was. And we started off playing on the valley courts. So yeah, these were the courts um, in the capital of the island. So the community courts in the capital. And we would go there and play, just knock around in the afternoons because I was really interested. And then they started in 1994. Five, I think it was we started our Anguilla Tennis Academy. So Mr. Mitch Lake, he started off Anguilla Tennis Academy and I just had to join. And it was something that started off as fun for, you know, summertime. All the kids, like literally all the kids on the island came to the tennis camp every year. And this was two courts, but definitely I feel like because I just felt like I was... I am athletically inclined and this was seen by the coaches there from a very young age. So um, I, I became a part of the advanced group and then I, as I got older, then I started to join the after school program and I was, as I said, I was very inclined when it came to sports. So I was playing tennis, I was playing football, like in primary school, I was the captain of a football team. Um, I traveled, so I was on our regional team for football as well. Um, then I, I literally played every sport and then getting into high school, I started playing, uh, volleyball and then I joined the team there, the national team. We traveled the Caribbean a little bit. And then at the same time, like running concurrently, I was still playing tennis and 
I got really, really good at tennis and I was asked to make a choice, basically. Uh, so I had to choose tennis <laughs> because I felt personally with tennis, there was more reach for me. Like there was so much more possibility for progression because one, it depended solely on my efforts and my ability Whereas football was more of a team sport and Anguilla at that time didn't really have um, the facilities to make sure that we can get to a, a higher level. Whereas tennis, like um, Mr. Mitch Lake, like he created a proper tennis facility that was just state of the art. It was beautiful. I was able to start playing at the hotels as well, which had obviously um, amazing tennis courts from grass to, to clay to just normal surfaces and then I became um, a tennis pro down at Malihana like assistant pro then and yeah that's just where I, I just continued to fall in love and I between there I transitioned from athlete so after traveling to India for youth commonwealth games um, I transitioned from athlete into coach and then that just that that just came like that became the end of my tennis player career <laughs> um and i i kind of wanted it to stop there but then a part of me knew that i had so much talent that i didn't want to leave it there um and i know i left out a huge part that i actually got two i was offered at 16 and at 18 two scholarships not scholarships from anguilla but scholarships from um, universities in America. So, uh, fully paid four year scholarships. But at that time, I was in a relationship and I didn't really want to leave the island at that time. I didn't, I wasn't mature enough to make that decision. And so I, I let it slide. And yeah, I ended up in England four years later. And I started playing for my university here as well. And I was the best player on my team took us to second place of the championships and then I stopped playing. I haven't played properly in about six years. What a story. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Tennis is like my longest career. It's something that I can definitely talk about for a while because it started at a very young age and it, like literally, I just picked up my racket, dusted off, um, bought some new shock absorbers, some new balls, and some new grips like, about three, four weeks ago. And I went back to the tennis court, and it just felt amazing. So it's still in my life to this day. I even coach my nephew. So it's really just something that's, it has a special place in my heart. So Melissa, of all these sports that you played, did you run track as, as well? I did. You did run track. Okay. What events? Just like... like um, I did... 200 and 100 and four by one. Okay, sprinter. And then for, for field, for field events, I also, I probably still have the, I think it's discus, I don't know, it's either discus or shot put. I have the, um, the national record in Anguilla. So it was just a shot put out javelin. I can't remember, but I did all of those. Um, so, so I can't remember. Well. One of those things I was good at. <laughs> One of those. I remember myself and Shara Proctor were like um, at the top four. She, I think she was at the top for two of those. She held the national record for two of those things, and I held the national record for one of them. Shara Proctor, as in the UK's Shara, uh, Olympic Shara Proctor. Yes. Interesting. Of all those sports... Would you say that tennis is your favorite, or what is your favorite? 100% tennis. Tennis. All right. 
You mentioned a little earlier about your experience in India at the Commonwealth Games. How did that shift your perspective on sports or life or how did that affect you? Um, I would say that it definitely opened my eyes to the need for better, uh, more frequent coaching in Anguilla um, because the kids, because it was Junior Commonwealth Games and we went, I think I was 16 years old and yeah, like these kids were amazing. These kids were amazing and it just showed that they had, I think that was before Mr. Mitch Lake had the, the state of the art, um, facility there in Anguilla. And also we didn't have the coaches who had, you know, proper tennis coaching experience. Um, we had one, one coach who's Jason and he, he was really good. He was a really good coach. Um, however, it, the frequency was not there that we would have needed over the years to really prime us and prepare us for stuff like that. We were, we were not dedicated tennis athletes. We were, okay, go to our day job and sometimes come on most afternoons during the week type of tennis players only up until maybe six weeks before going to India. Um, where we actually did like days of training. So where we would come in the morning, have morning sessions. And then during the midday sun, we would take a break, uh, have our lunch or whatever, do whatever work, schoolwork or whatever needs to be done. And then come back in the evening and train again for a couple more hours and work on like placement of serves and different spins and, you know, just everything like that placement on the court how to really play doubles effectively because myself and Olivia, we played doubles together and then we obviously both of us played singles. And I just feel like it definitely opened my eyes to what we could improve on um, within the, the tennis academy in Anguilla. And for me, um, it was a shock to the system. Uh, we, we lost terribly when it came to the doubles um, I did get quite a way into my match. My match took a while for singles, the matches that I played. Um, and it was just crazy to just witness how quickly certain matches were finishing in like 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Love and love, like <laughs> literally no points for some people. And that just showed that the levels of some of these other kids was crazy. And when I spoke to them personally, they said, you know, like we've been training so hard for the last year um they knew that they will come into the junior commonwealth games and so hard for the past year they had specialist coaches and they literally paused their schoolwork to take on this thing seriously and full-time they worked on their nutrition we had none of that in anguilla Mm. And it made me think, you know, if one day I was to open my own tennis academy or tennis school or whatever the case may be, those are all the things that I would want to, you know, to bear in mind and to take into consideration, you know. So definitely for me, um, I those are things that was kind of like a turning point in my life for quality and quality with anything that I do. So I, I take that into what I'm doing now. It must be fit. I definitely believe in quality over quantity in anything that I do. Even when the quantity goes up, the quality has to be there. It's all about value and it's all about making sure that all my 
T's are crossed and all my I's are dotted and everything is accounted for. So when my clients come to me, I make sure that their nutrition is set up. I make sure that they have a thorough understanding of why they're doing something and how to get from where they are to their goal. Because these kids at 15 and 16 years old, they were able to be like proper adults and take, take, you know, education and take teachings from people who were knowledgeable in different aspects of their, their career or whatever. So for example, nutritionists, personal trainers, these kids will go into the gym five and six times a week. You know, we had none of that. So I, I take that, I take that, um, into my business at the moment and just making sure that I am giving the best opportunity to every person that comes to must be fit and that they leave more educated, more inspired, more empowered and all of that good stuff obviously comes with results. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So you went from child athlete to coach tennis professional. So then something happened in your early 20s and you say that you uh, gained weight. Very interesting for it, for such an avid um, sports person. And you said you, you gained a lot of weight and um, you went into snacking and partying and we all know alcohol has tons of calories. But just, just a, a just a question for you. Uh, what was your go-to snack during that period? Wow, that would definitely be pizza, <laughs> cake. I literally snacked on anything that made me feel good at that time. So, yeah, it was it was necessary. It was not necessarily one thing. But being in Anguilla, it was even earlier than my, um, my early 20s. So it was about, I was about 18 to 20. Because I left Anguilla, I think I was 19 or 20. I can't even remember. But yeah, I used to love coconut heart. If I had to choose one, it was coconut heart. Ooh, I understand that. <laughs> and um, what was your what was your favorite drink? Alcoholic drink? Sure, yeah. Oh, but you see, at that time, my my the most common alcoholic drink that I was drinking was beer. Unfortunately, of all choices, Ooh. it was beer, Heineken beer. At that. Ooh. Lots of yeast. Exactly that. So after gaining weight and snacking on pizza and beer and cakes and tarts, how were you able to break the cycle mentally? That's a really good question. Um, I like to reflect on my ability. And as an athlete, I was able to play six, seven different sports or events and I knew what my potential was because I was praised about it and told about it and reminded about it every single time that I came into contact with someone who knew me. And at that time, I, I guess the, the main thing that helped me kind of snap back was getting out of Anguilla. So I, many people don't know that story, but I sold my car, I bought a one-way ticket and I got out of Anguilla to get away from the toxicity that I was in. And obviously all the snacking and the, the alcoholism, whatever you want to call it. Um, because I was definitely drinking too much. So I, I class that as alcoholism. Yeah, so it was just really getting out of that environment. And that was the first change that really just got me like, huh, so I can breathe now. And then coming into the UK, 
um, I saw a lot more different habits. So back home, you don't really see people exercising unless it's a few weeks before carnival. Um, (laughs) Summer body. (laughs) Yeah, or sometimes, you know, the New Year's resolutioners, you got them for the first few weeks of January. But up here, and I, I moved very close to a park and you would literally see people out there running on a daily basis. And the thing is, I knew that I could do these things. So it being so close to me, I first worked on my mindset, you know, knowing that my only limitation is me. I used to write my affirmations, my positive affirmations, and I would have them literally sticked up on my wall um, next to my schoolwork because I'm quite a visual person. And so I would have like all my chemistry, biology, everything that I was studying at that time um, up on the walls and up there, I would have my affirmations and I would start my day off by reciting those things and reminding myself that I am worthy and I am able and I am capable. And that is how I started to get that transition. And at that time, I also um, was deeper into Christianity and I used to read my Bible quite often and I would find comfort in there and strength in there. So that kind of helped push me into that whole renewed mindset, that powerful and empowered mindset. And then I just used that and transitioned that into physical ability, which was the easier part, in my opinion, uh, because I've done it before. I can do it again, you know. Um, and so I actually snapped myself back into a way better body than I had before becoming overweight. So you went to the park instead of the pub once you got to the UK. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Melissa, what are three things that, say, someone who's just beginning their journey in um, transitioning their bodies, what are are three things that they can do to start the mental shift? First of all, you have to be forgiven, you have to forgive yourself and you have to be patient with yourself. Um, sometimes I witness women who have been unfit for 10 years. They have dug themselves into this situation for 10 years and then they come out and they finally stick their head out and say, listen, Mel, I want to train. I want to start getting fit. And whether it's that they train with me online or train with me one-to-one or do my online challenges Um, then they come to me and they have these unrealistic expectations and because their expectations are so far-fetched and I can say that because they are, then they kind of let themselves down before they even start because as soon as they're not seeing that six pack coming through in six weeks, they then, they then start to lose momentum. But they also have to realize you're not going to gain the body that you want in six weeks that you've put yourself in, in 10 years. You cannot undo 10 years of bad habits in six weeks because it's all about habit creation. And if you've been drinking alcohol every weekend until you pass out for 10 years, and now I'm telling you to drink water 
I, I don't expect you to go from alcohol every weekend, 10, 12 drinks to no drinks. It's a gradual process. It's a gradual process. And I am very empathetic to people because I've been there. So that would definitely be number one is to forgive yourself and, um, you know, take things in stride would be the next one. Um, nothing is going to happen overnight. And if you, if you yourself don't know how to do something, then you would have to seek advice. So, and the person who's advising you will definitely take you through progress in stages. So you're not going to go from, as I said before, extreme behavior in one way to then, you know, another extreme. So the person definitely wouldn't be going from no training a week to five, six sessions a week. So it's a, it's about gradual progression. Um, and the last piece of advice that I would give people is to work on your mindset. So for me, it, I, I strongly believe it's always first within, then without. So if you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you can't. You're right either way. So it's just about really reconditioning your mind and, and kind of basically reprogramming everything that you've been through and been thinking about for the past however long for your whole lifespan and just basically rewiring yourself for success and if that means listening to positive podcasts if that list if that means um following social media influencers that are quite positive and realistic with it it's definitely a good place to start and it starts from creating that that positive mental space um, for you to thrive because it's all about force within then without and you can be anything that you put your mind to so you just have to get the mind right and the body will follow excellent advice now you said that you had a eureka moment while taking a university course tell us about that the moment when you realized that this is what you wanted to do uh, when I realized I wanted to do fitness, you mean? Yes. So, um, well, it just came from when my friends were able to see the change within myself. And it's not just that I went from being overweight to having six-pack abs. It wasn't just the fitness part of it. Brag but about it. Was it. Brag so about much... it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I dropped 45 kilos, which is over 100 pounds in nine months and it wasn't like it wasn't really like a struggle for me because as i said within the first few months it was a bit of trial and error but it was just all mindset it was all me working on mindset in the first two months i'd say and then when i really started putting in the physical work was in the last seven months and i educated myself along the way so my friends were able to see that and witness that. And they were able to see my clothes fitting differently. The way that I speak about myself was different. And the advice and thing that I would give them was totally different. And also the way that I, I maneuvered around challenges and stuff like that. I saw everything as possible for myself. I saw everything as an opportunity to sharpen my skills in that area. So nothing was like, ah, oh, stress. Uh, something I can't do so it's just a negative association with it but it was more like oh a challenge okay I got this then 
And that tri- that trickles into my university work. I was top of my class for the first year. Um, and that's coming from the Caribbean, not knowing what the schooling was like up here. Um, I did one year. Uh, I did one year. So I did an intensive course for chemistry, biology, and something else <laughs> in college. Um, and so I did the two years in one year. And then I moved into university right after that. And I did um, sports therapy degree where, yeah, I was just really focused because I treated university just how I treated my physical journey, you know, and it all started with my mindset. It all surrounded around the positive mindset that I had. Now, Mel, you help women specifically. How do you feel when you see the results? Oh, man. <laughs> like, I literally get overwhelmed every single time. And it's not even just because of the physical results. As I said, like, that's the easy part. You know, I know most women who come to me come for the physical results. But what really makes me overjoyed and overwhelmed is witnessing the transition from a woman that didn't love herself to a woman that is totally obsessed and, like, infatuated with herself like totally from someone who had no belief in themselves to someone who's now like unstoppable and those things not only help those women with their fitness journey but it's so applicable and it it, it trickles into their personal lives their relationships um their jobs they become so much more confident that their sex lives are better. They are more. Um, here. <laughs> <laughs> they are more assertive with jobs that they like, positions that they feel like they deserve. Because sometimes we do have challenges. Let's be real, we do have challenges as women in in the corporate world. But like positions that they truly believe they deserve, and they have always questioned themselves whether I should go for this uh, promotion or not, or this position or not. They now take it. Like, they go full force because now they believe in themselves a lot more. And uh, any woman that has come through my 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 company, it's they don't leave the same. If they've applied themselves and actually read the information that um, is either on the program or spoken to me at any point in time, they have come out as someone who believes in themselves, even if just a little bit more, and they're even conscious of how they speak. And sometimes I, my challenge is they're just 28 days. However, some women create such beautiful habits that by the end of the challenge, before they used to speak so negatively about themselves and whatever, and at the end, like they just they just become this person that is so pleasant and so positive about their abilities it's just that that is what's beautiful to me and and we've had women who have reversed high blood pressure we've had women who have had their best readings for hyperthyroidism like it's just it's it's amazing it's absolutely amazing so what is your approach um as a fitness coach are you a taskmaster are you hardcore with it or are you more gentle What, what is your approach I would definitely say I am a mix of both. And I feel that is, I won't say generally the best. However, it works best for women. And the reason why I say that, and it should, it should apply to men as well, but that's, that's totally different. Um, the reason why I say that we are hormonal beings and we do have 
challenges that men will never face and never understand. Um, and, and those things come from, you know, menstrual cycles to having a thyroid, um, malfunction to, to polycystic ovaries, you know, to fibroids, to, to childbirth and then having abdominal separation. All these things have women like create this sense of either insecurity or they actually feel physical pain, you know, and it just takes a certain amount of empathy for women. Um, however, when you're feeling your best, this is my motto. When you're feeling your best, give me your best. When you're not feeling your best, still give me the best you can at that place that you are. And I know when you're feeling your best, because once you're transparent with me, um, I'm going to be able to push you on those days when you, you know, when you are feeling optimal. So me, I, I definitely mix it up. So I sprinkle the those form reminders in there every now and again to kind of shake people up and, and put them back on track because let's be real like we know that you baby people too much they're gonna slack off they're gonna slack off and i've experienced it numerous times so uh it's it's really about finding that middle ground and finding that balance and understanding when to apply the whole empathy role you should always be empathetic, but when to apply, when to hold back a little bit under pressure and when to push the, push the pressure. So you need to just gauge how you're going to apply those things. So Melissa, walk us through your process uh, in terms of the must be, what is the must be fit process? I mean, that depends on the client. Um, I have ladies who come in for mainly fat loss. I have women who come in for um, weight gain, which is something that I did as well. So I did the, the fat loss process and I also did the weight gain process. So people have seen both of my results. And so they come to me for everything. Um, well, ex and explain, like, the, ex someone, explain the weight gain process because some people may not um, quite understand what does she mean by weight gain? <laughs> okay, so when I when I initially lost that forty five kilos, I went down to around fifty something kilos, um, and then at one point I was down to fifty kilos, which is not healthy. So that's around a hundred and maybe one hundred and ten pounds, um, and that was very light for someone who is five foot nine, and I yeah, was one hundred and ten pounds <laughs> since I was since I. I was in high school, you know, and, and so in terms of the weight gain process, it's about ensuring that you're gaining healthy lean muscle and, and minimalizing, um, the amount of fat that you're gaining in the process. You're going to gain fat because you're going to be in a caloric surplus. So you're going to be at one point, I was eating like 3000, 3200 calories a day. And I mean, it's, it's a gradual process. So if someone is coming to me for weight gain, um, I would take into consideration their age, their height, and their current weight, and then their goal weight. And then I would calculate, you know, um, how much calories they need to be taken in. And whether it's over, a, we'll do like four week or six week blocks. And then we'd go over increasing their calories slightly um, during those periods, like during those blocks. And then um, 
whilst we're working on the nutrition, so we're keeping the nutrition, not doing a dirty bulk, not doing the MACDs and all that kind of stuff to just gain weight, however, because a lot of people who are looking to gain weight have struggled to gain weight in the past. They feel like they have eaten everything or tried everything and they eat so much. But realistically, when I ask them to do a food diary for seven days, um, when they come back, they're eating like 1,800 calories or 2,000 calories. And that's not enough for what they needed to be taken in. That would be like a little bit even under maintenance. And so sometimes we overestimate or underestimate our calories. And for people who want to gain weight, they usually overestimate what it is that they're eating um so i would get them to do the food diary and then um bump things up in terms of like getting their protein up because we're going to be lifting a bit heavier uh so we're going for more hypertrophy style lifting so we're going to be working more on the compound lift the squats the deadlifts you know even push putting in some push-ups there uh pull-ups just literally working on everything because i am not the type of coach to just train your butt all the time i'm not going to train your butt all the time i'm really not so <laughs> um i like to build uh an overall strong woman uh, which also assists with burning fat in the unwanted places so if you're building lean muscle all over um, and your diet is fairly clean then more than likely you're going to lose that uh stubborn uh, belly fat and that kind of stuff if you have any belly fat and that also minimalizes how much fat you're going to gain around the waist while you're gaining weight so that's definitely it. And then over time, we just do a progressive overload in terms of, like, say, every week, every two weeks. We would, like, bump up the weights, like, every week or bi-weekly. And it depends on if they've already been lifting quite heavy. If they get to a place, like, where they're at their six weeks um, and they've been lifting quite heavy, then we'll just go up to by, like, 1.5 kilos or something like that. Um, and then we'll go into a different um, periodization part of their program so maybe working more on functional stuff so there's there's so many different aspects of it and then for women training for women is totally different to training for men um we're not just little men we have to train differently um and our blocks are different because women are different we are basically four different people throughout a month and that's because our cycle runs like that so women will train differently, um, let's say, 14 days of the month compared to the other 14 days of the month. And when I say of the month, I mean just of the cycle. So it could be 15 days and 14 days or 15 days and 15 days. But, yeah, we train differently because uh, our hormones are balanced differently. At those, like, follicular phase and luteal phase, we train according to that. So I train our clients based on that most of the time. So I, I know when their menstrual cycle is coming um, or where them, how their menstrual cycle comes, because some people are unregular, irregular, sorry. Um, and yeah, I just train them based off that. And that is the best way for women to train. So scientifically, it's been found to boost fat loss, um, if, and, and muscle gain, um, if women train concurrently with their menstrual cycle. So train accordingly to what, science says they should so yeah that's 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 how i train my girls but when it comes to like the challenges so the challenges are kind of one size fit all um i have pre-recorded over a hundred videos for my challenges and 
let's just say most people do the same exercises for the 28 days and they also have like um rehab moves so like for stretching and stuff like that and with that now it depends it's mostly for weight loss however i would just advise them separately in terms of their caloric intake and about their weights as well to bump them up a little bit more um and with the shift that weight in 28 challenge that is just um the way that we do things so it's just one one basic challenge and everyone basically gets results from it and within that challenge there's a private facebook group with over 700 women right now and they they have the ability to ask questions there you know to really get the advice that they want as if they have me for a personal personal trainer mm. Now, tell us about your baby, the Must Be Fit Company, the company itself. How did you uh, come up with the name, the concept, and uh, how's it going? Um, well, my name is Melissa Mussington, so literally that's how I came up with the name. One day I was just like, oh, I, I, I definitely want my name to be... Like in in terms of first, I was thinking in terms of my Instagram tag. I want my Instagram tag to be something with fit in it, obviously, because I want it to represent what I created it for. So fitness. And then I was like thinking, 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 and it just dawned on me. It just literally came to me one day, and I was like, "Hmm, must be fit." And then obviously, it's a play on words because the, the first four letters of my name is M U S S, and so I was like. Oh, must be fit let's go and then that was it that was it um and how it came into fruition it was it was a it's just something that i knew i wanted to do from a very long time ago and i started doing it basically in the parks um i, I even started out training people in gyms when i wasn't supposed to <laughs> Uh, you know, training friends then, you know, friends, not like making money and stuff like that, but training friends um, just out of the love of it. And because I was also doing my own research on the side. Um, so it wasn't a thing where I was just doing it for without knowing anything. But it was like my friends trusted me to go to the gym with them because they knew that I knew what I was doing. So that is how it started off. And then it just started to grow from there. My online presence grew and um, it just became, I just became known for for transforming bodies over time because I, 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 the, the momentum picked up and I started to get more clients. I started to train people um, outdoors. They started to get results. They started to tell people. And then I, I came up with the, the challenge concept, I think it was last year. And it was just, it was just like a, a a thing like a eureka moment it was like this is how i can do one to many concept um and just be able to reach more people and and transform more bodies and minds um and it's, that's why the whole pre-recorded thing was important because i can just set it and forget it, it was basically like an evergreen product that i can just um have there people can purchase it as a program so there's like a full program full ver version of it that they can purchase or they can join the challenges when I do have them. So I'd have them about, I think this is my third one now for the summer and I'm contemplating if I'm going to have a next one, but they don't happen every month. So that's why it's, it's obviously 
important that they can that people can also just click on my website and go and purchase the full program um and yeah so so that's that part of it and then i'm still able to train clients one-to-one however i don't take more than five clients at a time um that's because that's a personal choice and that is also because i believe in quality over quantity and if i'm going to be training 20 people it's going to be very difficult for me to go into every session uh first of all with energy and second of all being able to focus on that person and make sure that that person and everything that they've done last session is still you know i i've done a recap of what happened last session i i know their weights i you know i just really even looking into how i can tweak their program and all that stuff and it it takes time it also is a I have so many different parts of must be fit. There's the whole one-to-one stuff. There's the online one-to-one stuff. Then there's the online challenges. Then there's the social media influencer. So like if I'm working with brands or whatever, and then there's a content creator for both Instagrams. I have to record and edit and post workouts on Instagram and other content on Instagram and then also record, edit and post on YouTube. So there's literally so, so many different things and I'm still creating new products as we speak. Um, and yeah, and still trying to sharpen my, my, my skills and my, my knowledge along the way. And then on top of that, personally develop so I can just still be a good human being so there's literally so many different aspects of it and when i say it out loud now it's like it's actually really really complex and it's so Mm multi-dimensional now melissa you had a strong online and social media presence before covid i'm assuming that the transition into the covid era wasn't as difficult for you because you were already in the online space am i right or how how did that transition work for you Absolutely right. I mean, I didn't really panic. Um, I know that there were many people in the fitness industry who did not have an online presence. And when I say online presence, I don't mean just um, having followers. I mean, having systems in place to actually be able to monetize from your followers. Um, There are some women who I know personally who just had just did one-to-one training face-to-face training face-to-face training every day so you can only imagine that it definitely hit them for a six when (laughs) when um COVID-19 came up and they couldn't go to the gym and they haven't been there for the past six months um you're so so British you said hit them for a six such a cricket reference but go ahead I I think that's more Caribbean than anything else (laughs) that's true hit hit them for six Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what we were saying. So yeah, um, I I feel like for myself, um, there was no panic. For other people, they started doing a lot of live workouts, free of charge, and all that kind of stuff to gain traction and to gain people's trust, I guess. Whereas I was already doing challenges, so people knew I got results. I was already in that space. I could already claim, you know, that position of hey, like, I do this thing already. Like, this this is already um, where I shine, you know, whereas for others, it was about building traction. Um, and for me, it was just, it was quite seamless. I didn't, I didn't do all of the whole lives thing because I feel like that was quite tiring. Um, whereas some people did lives every single day for free. 
Um, and it was just, it was just something that didn't appeal to me. And I, because I already had systems in place, I didn't feel like I needed to tweak anything. And if it's not broke, don't fix it. And people were already coming to me. And because I had these programs and these challenges already created, um, it was just literally a plug and play and people just came to me and then we just like for the challenges we'd have over 150 200 women on every challenge so it was really just yeah it was quite seamless and I was able to just appreciate the rest a little bit more <laughs> during COVID because before that I was still having like my one-to-one clients you know so it was really just a time for me to uh, continue doing what I was doing but also being creative and uh, coming up with, you know, ways in which I could have improved the way that I was maybe carrying out my systems, you know. So um, whether it's the onboarding process, whether I should add a different form or whether I should change things around. So it's just um, little tweaks here and there um, to, to make things a bit more seamless, to have less questions when people are joining the challenges and that kind of stuff. So being on the third one already now for summer, uh, we have way less questions when people are joining the, the private Facebook group now as like in comparison to three months ago, you know, so it's just about re it was just about improving on what I already had in place. Now, the experience of running must be fit. You were also the, dare I say, spokesmodel and spokesperson. And you put out pictures of yourself in various outfits, looking fit as a fiddle, as they say. Does it keep you accountable, the fact that you oh, are 100%. the spokesperson? <laughs> hundred percent um it definitely that is a part of my motivation and that actually keeps me going sometimes um when it comes to like people ask me questions all the time and people use whether whether we like to believe it or not people will buy into you before they buy into a product so you have to be a good representation of what it is that you're claiming that you're capable of um, and I've been there done that and I have proof of it all so even though I'm not Right now, I'm very much more focused on building the business aspects of things, making sure that everything is um, just set. The systems are set in place properly. Everything is of, like, top quality. That is my goal at the moment, short-term goal. Uh, and, and so that includes doing other little courses and stuff like that, just to, to increase my knowledge, but also to make everything a bit more, a bit easier for the transition with Must Be Fit to be able to take on thousands of women at the same time. So, yeah, so it's right now it's about that more than training. And I think COVID came at a decent time for me to be able to do that. Uh, so I used the time wisely then. I, I definitely have used it wisely to rest and recover um, because, yes, I was definitely experiencing some burnout, but also... Um, get just get my creative juices flowing and also working on personal development because I feel like all of that contributes to me becoming a better owner, better CEO, better spokesperson, you know, just just a better uh, businesswoman, 
you know, because as you go into different rooms, you need to be able to represent yourself well. And that comes from not only just looking good, but being able to speak well um, and to be to represent your brand in a way that you intend to. So that 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 is one of my priorities at the moment. And so looking as fit as a fiddle is not really uh, on the pri- high on the priority list, but I, I keep myself uh, at least. I'd say eight to 12 weeks out from a banging body as much as I can, as often as I can. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Now, Mel, tell us three things or three tips for anyone that's, you know, maybe younger that wants to break into the fitness industry. What are three things that someone that's definitely trying to break into the, into the industry should know or should pay attention to? All right. So these, I would call them my must do's. So these things are definitely, the first thing I would say is to be consistent because I know it sounds so cliche. I know everybody's going to tell you the same thing. However, um, that is the, that is just the reality of it. Um, if you want to be respected in any industry, uh, people will respect you when you are credible and you are credible when you can give results consistently and not just results, but you can post consistently. Um, I, I try to post every, if not every day, every other day. And then right now I'm posting on YouTube at least once a week. I'm holding myself accountable to doing that for 12 weeks. Um, and this week I, it's my intention to post twice this week. So tomorrow and Saturday and consistency is eight. Like consistency is the name of the game. You will be known for what you do if you are omnipresent. That's the next point. You need to build your presence in more than one place. So after you've solidified one aspect of of social media, so for me, I've built my Instagram to almost 60,000 right now. Um, and now I'm transitioning over into YouTube as well. So I'm, I'm posting both places. Uh, the aim is to build my Instagram close to 100k if not 100k this year and then um my instagram has already passed a thousand subscribers and i've only been consistent for about five weeks you know so uh, my youtube sorry yeah so my youtube has now um gained over a thousand followers and that is just from being consistent for about five weeks now so i definitely see it going somewhere because i believe in value and people will appreciate value um so that's it that's point number two is to make sure that you're omnipresent i've built my twitter my twitter has grown now in the past maybe four weeks i've gone from like just about hitting two thousand to almost three and a half thousand now um and that's just about really putting content out there. And it's not the same content every single place. You kind of have to, I use Twitter for a lot of motivational tweets, um, for like quick tips for people that they are willing to share. Cause it's about putting shareable content out there on Twitter. Cause people easily retweet it and you can kind of easily go viral. If you put something that is desired by people that people need to know and that they feel other people need to know. And also funny, <laughs> um but with instagram it's about 
stuff that is savable, so stuff that they can bookmark and um, save for their next workout. And YouTube, it's about creating content that people would be searching for because YouTube, after Google, is the, the, the largest search engine. So people are going to go how to whatever, whatever. So you need to create content that's going to answer how to go from 50 kilos to 90 kilos and not have a big belly, for example. <laughs> you know, and the third point would be take record of your results okay um i always say results tell stories sell and Ooh. that is because gems <laughs> gems gems yes, i'm dropping them i'm dropping gems. them so like results you have to get results if people people buy into um something that i do because they see the results that i've gotten for women in 28 days that's why they buy into my 28 day program you know, um, right now we've got over 270 women in this final challenge for the year, you know, and, and most of them have bought into it because they saw a before and after picture, not because they know me personally and they think that I'm amazing or whatever, or I speak so highly of myself. No, people need to see results and you need to take record of those results. So have pictures of your clients, um, have screenshots of testimonials. So as I said, results tell stories. Tell. So those people need to tell stories about their experience with you. And that's basically what a testimonial is. And if you can get some recording, so some videos of those testimonials, brilliant. So you want to have different ways, different means of, of, um, results and testimonials. So the results via pictures, um, via text message, WhatsApps, just different things that you can post in different places. So it's not always all the same thing, all the same thing. You know, you want people to see a screenshot of, for example, I have a screenshot of what, what one lady sent to me of her blood pressure monitors at one point before the challenge. And then after the challenge, you know, and that blew up at one point, you know, and then, you know, videos of women, talking about the challenge because then you can also use all of this content to create um different ad copies and different ads to target the people who need your services you know so without results you're not going to be able to go far so definitely those three are my top tips my must do if you're trying to build any kind of career successful career in fitness grow your on online presence be omnipresent and also get results melissa mussington business course is coming soon now mel in in the age of ig and everything visual body image has taken on a whole new meaning comment about that uh, tell us about that for a little bit you know there's so many young impressionable and you know women especially girls i should say girls that are doing so much to get these results and that and they sometimes don't do it the natural way can you speak to natural versus you know artificial and which way obviously we know which way you which way you would recommend but why is that why is it that much more important to do it naturally um first off i would definitely say that um health your health is super important and when people try to go towards the surgical route, you are putting yourself at risk for so many things. Um, I know someone who 
actually passed away from, I think she was having a baby or something like that. And she passed away because she had some complications that were as a result of, I think this was like last year or something, she, as a result of having um, a Brazilian butt lift and liposuction and breast implants. And it's just all to create that, what they think is that Instagram body, that, you know, Instagram model body. And, and that's, that can also, I'm not saying the body that she created or the body that these women are creating are achievable by exercising and only exercising because you're, you're not going to increase your breast size by exercising like in in the drastic way that they were able to you're not gonna you know change the shape of your nose and the, the shape of your 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 thighs and you know some people create hips and this is a thing that's actually quite big in the industry right now um i don't know where it stemmed from i'm pretty sure it stems from men i'm gonna be very honest with you i'm pretty sure it stems from men oh you blaming women. the men yes of course because a lot of women change themselves because of one obviously they have these insecurities and they have this um this mindset that they're you know they're not valuable but then when you also have men who are telling you that you're you don't look so great you don't look as good as this person or they're they're not necessarily verbalizing it but they're only using women with these types of bodies in their music videos in their movies in this you know are having relationships with women who just look like this then that that's kind of like an unspoken standard that people are gonna have and when that happens then you have these young girls 15 16 years old trying to get rid of hip dips this is something that's so prominent in the fitness industry right now women are trying to get rid of hip dips and it's it's sad that they don't realize hips are bones so and hip dips would be the 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 dimples sort of it's, it's no it's like this little inverted it's like the inversion of your hips so where you would usually where some women have um, round hips, um, are they quite, you would use this terminology, they're quite hippy. Some women go in, inwards. Got it. A lot of women and girls, they tend to feel insecure for having these hip dips as if they're not normal, you know, and, and, and that is where us as fitness professionals or fitness influencers, that's where we need to play a role and not by creating exercises to tell them to get rid of the hip dips because that's then further making them feel insecure about something that is actually just how they are biologically made, but actually telling them it is okay. It is actually okay to be different to someone else. And also to realize when things are, what's real from what's fake. And a lot of women have come to me with these pictures of women that they want their bodies to look like, but they're the women that they're bringing as their model is fake, you know, and I just have to put things in perspective and be real with them and be like, babes, you're not going to get that body. First of all, um, it's surgically enhanced. And second of all, even if it was her body, what I can give you is the best version of your body. And that that's what we're going for. And if it tends to look close to that, then hurrah. If it doesn't, still hurrah, because you're the best version of yourself. Mm-mm-mm. So Mel, you've been featured as a fitness professional where where have you been featured in what magazines or sites etc um 
I have been featured in Cosmopolitan magazine. Um, this was about, I think, two years ago, two, three years ago. Um, I, I, I don't do as much press at the moment um, because I am trying to make sure that I'm focusing on actually building something that I feel is, you know, just out there and really up there that I, you know, I have very high standards, Crispin. I have very high standards. We couldn't I tell. Be... <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly do. And so I feel like when the time comes for me to shout about it, I'm going to have so much to talk about. And I would have, you know, really transformed thousands of women's lives. And so I, I guess I haven't taken up some of the press um, opportunities. And then I guess with, coronavirus and stuff like that um a lot of people weren't really doing press so i don't really do much if i'm very honest i'm just usually featured on like instagram pages um whether it is for black fitness melanated fitness um there's like certain gyms that would uh, post about me and um the work that i've done and yeah it's just it's just really I wouldn't say it's necessarily um, publications like that. My biggest one so far has been Cosmopolitan, and they reached out to me a few years ago when they saw that I was, you know, growing rapidly and stuff like that. But at the moment, I know that a lot is going to be coming my way um, as COVID tends to die off a bit because what they like to do is they like to meet up physically and they like to do photo shoots and the whole sit-down videos and stuff like that. But let's see. And Planet 30. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, I, I, I've been asked to go on podcasts before, and I guess now, I'm, as I said to you, during COVID, I, I really have, have been working on my confidence, how how I feel about talking positively about myself. Um, obviously, that is undoing a lot of trauma and stuff from my young years. Um, and this whole humble thing that we talk about in Anguilla. Um, so I, I'm now taking some of those opportunities to talk more about what it is I do. And you are actually the first person for a podcast that I have taken up the opportunity to speak with. So I'm very, very happy to be here. I am honored. I am honored. Oh. <laughs> and thank God you are uh, speaking out because we need to hear it. The world needs to hear it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, tell us about your upcoming apparel line. Oh, my goodness, Crispin. You're telling the world. You're telling the world. Okay. I, um, huh. Where do I start? It is not far into production or anything like that yet. It is still a concept. It is still um, on paper and in my mind. However, it is going to be something that is super comfortable, something that women can wear in the gym and outside and it is going to be something yes so it's going to be leisure and active wear in one it's it could potentially have some that are just active wear and some that are just leisure so like tracksuit style um crop top tracks that kind of stuff um and yeah i i've been thinking so much about even bikinis because i do love i guess it's just the island girl in me but Crispin, there's, 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 there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. And 
I feel like it's about bringing out the confidence in women. So it will be um, flattering pieces, you know, the high-waisted stuff um, and things that women can strut their stuff in but also be of good quality and at the same time as affordable as I could possibly make it um, for it to make financial sense for myself. <laughs> uh-huh. So I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Ooh. <laughs> Number one, what is your favorite healthy dish? It would definitely have to be salmon and it would be paired with some coconut rice. I love a good basmati or jasmine coconut rice. And with I'll serve that with either steamed asparagus or steamed tender stem broccoli. Ah, sounds wonderful. Question number two. What is your favorite cheat meal? Oh, I love a pizza. What's on your pizza? It's, um, so on my pizza, I have peppers. It doesn't sound very cheesy, but it is. So peppers, mushrooms pineapple, uh, chicken, and sometimes ham or pepperoni, but it depends. Ah, is that... And it's either that or Chinese. I'll be very honest with you. I do love a Chinese. So it's either black bean, um, it's either beef in black bean sauce, or sweet and sour chicken with a special fried rice. Ah. Now, is that the thing that you think you would eat if you couldn't put on weight? Would it be pizza? Probably. <laughs> I love pizza. <laughs> I love pizza. Now, tell for those who are starting their fitness journey, what are some good healthy snacks? You know, though, you know, uh, when people are transitioning from cookies and cakes and and, and tapioca puddings, what what can oh, wow. replace it? <laughs> First of all, they sound really, really good. <laughs> so what I'm going to give you to replace is, so in terms of if you're a sweet person, because some people are sweet people and some people are savory, um, savory people. Mm -hmm. So um, me, myself, I think I'm a bit, it depends on the time of the month. <laughs> so uh, for the sweet alternatives, I would definitely say go for some fruit and pair the fruit with some yogurt. So not the flavored yogurt, but like some Greek yogurt because the, the fruit is already going to give you some sweetness. Or you can throw some granola in with the yogurt and you can top it off with some fruit if you're really, really craving um, something sweet. You can also try like granola bars. There are some that have uh, moderate sugar. Because some granola bars are so processed that they should not be consumed. <laughs> um, and if you're also looking for another sweet alternative, you can try a protein shake and just, um, you can get them flavorless so they have less added sugar. And then you can monitor how much sugar you want to add. So you can just use the fruit. So I use, um, I use a brown rice protein um, with blueberries, Either half or a whole banana, depends on how sweet I want my, my protein shake to be. Um, ice, almond, almond milk, um, a scoop of almond butter, and, you know, the flax seeds, chia seeds, that kind of stuff. And so you're getting your micronutrients, you're getting, you know, all those different things that you really, really need. Um, your antioxidants, and you're getting protein in there. And so it's nutritious, but also it tastes as if it's just like a 
super, 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 super treat. <laughs> and if you're going for something savory, um, I would say grab some pretzels. They're absolutely low in calories and they're also um, quite filling. Um, you can also have popcorn and I would say definitely keep it to um, the salt popcorn or low salt popcorn and avoid the sweet popcorn as much as you can because obviously sugar how it's broken down, how it's stored and that kind of stuff. And if you're not using up as much energy, it's going to be stored and it's going to be stored in the places that you really don't want it to be stored. Um, and the last snack, I would say for savory, you can do rice cakes and you can put, um, you can literally put anything on a rice cake. So you can put stuff that are savory and you can put stuff that are sweet. Um, so yeah, utilize rice cakes or rye cakes. And you can put, for savory, you can put some avocado on it and um, maybe salmon, like smoked salmon. And for the sweet side, you can just put some almond or peanut butter and slice up some bananas and put it on there and put some chia seeds. Sounds wonderful. Now, Melissa, when it's all over and you're a healthy, still running, still going to the gym, 80-something-year-old, um, what are some of your ultimate goals? Like, what are some of those goals that at the end of it all, you'll say, I am happy that I accomplished dash. What is the dash? Um, that I would have impacted 1 million women. So the goal is 1 million. Um, it has been for quite some time now. Um, also to be able to create outside of business and also to create and this is a part of business. So create a, a business that can thrive on its own. So someone else can take over my business um, or it could be sold um, or it could be inherited by one of my kids. And then outside of business to just be financially thriving so I can create a, a stable foundation for my future family um, and where money just doesn't play a part where in terms of like it's not a deciding factor on whether I want to do something or whether I can do something or not because of lack of funds or you know anything like that and to be able to this one is quite short term to work as hard as I can and as smart as I can to uh do help my grandmother ha have the best life that she can have, um, whether it's the last few years of her life, whatever the case may be, she's been living for quite some time now, and um, I do what I can to make sure that she's happy, healthy, and just really comfortable. So that is one of my, she's like one of my main priorities at the moment, and she'll continue to be so for as long as we're in each other's lives. So yeah, that's basically it. It's nice person as well. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Melissa, this is this a segment on Planet 30 that I call The Planet is Yours. I strap on my spacesuit and I jump out into the atmosphere and I leave you on the planet alone. <laughs> <laughs> the planet is yours. What say you to the people? Oh, wow. So that's really what we're doing now. <laughs> so, um, hi, guys. So, I mean... I have spoken to many people about journeys and the journey could be anything from business to physical health to, you know, relationships and coming out of relationships and 
jobs, whatever the case may be. And I just want to basically let you guys know that it is possible and it is possible for you. And as much as you question yourself um, from time to time because of how um, you've been programmed from a young age, uh, just remember that you you actually got this. And it's down to your belief and down to your mindset, which will determine whether you get those desires of your heart or not. And I genuinely believe if you if you haven't been told already that you can do it and that someone believes in you, I believe in you. This is the first time that you're hearing my voice here in this podcast. And it may not be the last time, uh, but every time you speak to me and every time you listen to Planet Thursday, I want you guys to remember that you're capable to and, and you deserve to be, do or have anything in this world. So that's basically my advice to you today, um, my encouragement for you today, and I hope that you start to apply it as soon as possible, because the sooner you do, the sooner and the faster you're going to get to those desires of your heart. Uh-huh. Now, Mel, give us your contact information, your uh, website, your socials. Lay it on us. So for me, you can find me pretty much everywhere as must be fit. So on Instagram, it is at must be fit, M-U-S-S-B-E-F-I-T-T. It is two T's because my first Instagram with one T um, was shut down for whatever reason and I never got it back. And however, I am must be fit with one T on everything else. So on Twitter and my website is www.mustbefit.com or .co.uk, whichever one. Um, yeah, you can you can find me in those places. So I'm usually on Instagram, Twitter. Um, YouTube is also Must Be Fit with one T. And my website is mustbefit.com. Ooh, all that information, especially the ladies, please go visit her socials, her website, and hit her up. Melissa Mussington of Must Be Fit, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today on the planet. Oh my God, Kristen, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for um, allowing me to use your platform and be a part of this whole movement for Planet 30. Ah, pleasure was ours. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at On Planet 30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet 30. Our email address is onplanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P L A N E T. T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.